0: Well, good morning, Beach Point. My name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the senior pastor here. And if you're new with us or maybe coming from the other campus uh, uh, into here and you've only heard me a few times, I I guess what I've learned uh, this morning is that I do not hide my affection as a Dodger fan very well. Uh, So when I walked on campus today, literally every single person that met me uh, looked at me with a big smile on their face and they said, you did it. You did it. Congratulations. Like I'm part of the team. Like I, I actually did something that willed them from my, my lazy boy chair uh, eating nachos. Like they were so excited. They said, we were convinced you were going to wear a jersey today. In fact, I'm disappointed you're not wearing a jersey today. And as, as, as much as I love the Dodgers, and I do, uh, I have to tell you there is only one team's jersey I'm wearing today. It's a team I love even more than Dodgers. It is Team Beach Point. This is my, my Beach Point jersey. And, uh, see if it fits from 10 years ago, uh, uh, but one of the things I, uh, people joke about with me is that, as they know, I love this church. I was raised by this church. I came here when I was 14. I, I spoke a couple times uh, this last week at a conference. And uh, uh, every time I would share, well, I'm pastoring the church I became a Christian in when I was 14 years old. And people would look and go, that is just crazy. Are you serious? You're, and, but I, I do. I love it. In fact, uh, my wife and I kind of joke that I'm the Leslie Nope of Beach Point. I don't know if you know who Leslie Nope is. But... <laughs> She's the, uh, she's the deputy director of the Parks Department in Pawnee, Indiana on the show Parks and Rec. And Leslie has this kind of almost irrational love and commitment to uh, to Pawnee. She thinks it's the greatest town. In fact, she wrote the book, Pawnee, the greatest town in America. And that's the way that she sees it. And anyone who knows me knows that's how I feel about Beach Point. It is the greatest church in the world. And I, I have churches that come and want to hire me uh, to move in uh, bigger places and stuff. And Like, why would I do that? This is the—I'm already at the greatest church in the in the world. Why would I ever want to leave? And so I love—I love being here. And today marks a a special day for us. I think for us to think about this kind of new season we're moving into. Uh, As Ken said, almost four years ago, uh, we began this kind of process of expanding the ministry into Huntington Beach of this campus, and and part of that is. Uh, You know, our roots are in Huntington Beach. Uh, The church began in 1904 in the city of Huntington Beach. Uh, The first chapel was built in 1906. Uh, And and for me, I'm from Huntington Beach. I was uh, uh, born and raised in Huntington Beach. And so uh, I know what it's like to kind of be at this church and kind of think about how to care about Huntington Beach. And so to see the things that have happened in these last years are amazing. 46 people from this campus decided to, to, they felt called to join Kent and Karen to go and be a part of that that new movement of expanding the ministry into that city and incredible things happened. 46 people turned into over 100 people uh, that they, they have uh, 27 baptisms in three years. 27 baptisms. There are churches that go a decade without baptizing 27 people and in three short years, 27 people in every story. In fact, as you were seeing those photos of the people being baptized didn't you notice it was their friends it was their family it was their 8 to 15 Uh, it was these relationships they're in that were bringing them into this uh, the fact that here was this, this kind of campus being planted and, and Ken joining these pastors in the city saying, how can we reach the city? And one of the things that, that as he mentioned, there's uh, this community that's literally only one mile from this campus, the Oakview community. Now raise your hand if you have ever gone and served in the name of Jesus in the Oakview community. Just raise your hand. Okay, now take your hand down if you're from the HB campus. Okay, so right, there's like three people. That's kind of embarrassing, right? Here's this uh, community a, a mile away that has need and, and opportunity. And yet we've never done anything until we we did this. Because what they did is they put on missionary eyes. They began to look at the city and look for opportunity. And you're going to get a chance to meet Abraham and Yulmi. Uh, they are helping to plant a church that's going to go in that that place. Uh, for 20 years, I've talked to pastors, and they, their churches just kind of go in, do something, and leave. And they've always said, We got to get a church starting in there. And so Ken and, and the others said, Well, then let's put a church there. And they began the hard work of figuring it out. And so there's actually a church that's going to be planned. We're going to get to help plant a church in that community. And that is pretty amazing. Incredible things that happened uh, by by taking this risk, by taking this leap of faith. New servants, new leaders, new volunteers. So many people raised up to the occasion. Uh, you think of, you got just a glimpse of it a little bit today of watching the way that people on the platform in both campuses. Uh, you had uh, great leaders, but then a lot of them uh, went to start this this one, uh, this new campus. You had new people step up and, and uh, take these opportunities. And you're only, you only got just a glimpse today of how exciting our worship is going to be on Sunday mornings as our teams come together. I can't wait as much as I love Larson, and I want, to, I want Larson to drum as much as possible, but I love when Rick Plummer drums because it's a show in and of itself. I won't tell you anything about it, but just sit in this corner and watch him. No one is loving the experience more than Rick, and I can't wait to see that happen. I, I can't wait to have uh, Mitch and Kristen and, and uh, their team uh, combine, but also watching the unique way that God has raised up through this opportunity people like Jillian and and alicia and, and Sandra and brian incredible. See, things the, the opportunity to, to expand ourselves in Huntington also stretched us here on the Fountain Valley campus because a lot of you stepped into new roles, new opportunities. And it's gonna it's been incredible to see the way that God has used that. Uh, we are so blessed. Even think of the, the unique way when you lose a, a great preacher like Ken who gets to preach next week, uh, you actually get the opportunity to discover a Justin Speak or a Kathy Julian or Brian Forbes and to see how rich rich and and vital. Our team is uh, here. Incredible stuff. And even for us in these past years, uh, we have seen lives change. There's been about 200 baptisms in the the last four years on this campus. Incredible stories, not just of kids and youth, which we are, are, it's so amazing. You know, there's about 300 youth and young adults here on on a Tuesday and Wednesday night combined. That's that's amazing. That's incredible. There are so many kids and young adults uh, and youth that are here. Uh, but to see all these changed lives that are happening, the most adults being baptized in Beach Point's uh, kind of recent history have been in these last years. We're seeing uh, people's lives change throughout the generations. And as Ken said, you might have noticed there's just a, a little bit of touch-up going on uh, on the campus. Uh, but it's fun, right, to come each and every week and see the unique things that we're being a part of. And every week when you show up, you're going to see even more uh, incredible things. We are, we're starting to get to those, those last few weeks of this project, and you're going to see that, uh, how this is all coming together. And so it is an exciting time to be a part of Beach Point. It is an exciting time. We want you to to find meaningful relationships here. We want you to find people that you can do life and faith with. People that uh, become uh, deep, lifelong friends. People that help you become more like Jesus. Uh, We want you to find a meaningful role here. We want you to find a way to be able to do things that where you know you are partnering with Jesus and the things that he wants to do to change the world. This is our hope and prayer for you. Uh, we think this is an exciting season. And it, so today is kind of the first next step in our, our, as we merge together, as we prepare for whatever God has next for us. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we have always been one church. Now, as Ken made abundantly clear, and I tried to make abundantly clear, we were one church on two campuses. And for now, we are one church on one campus, okay? For now, we'll see what God has up his sleeve. But what we are is we are people committed to whatever it is that he has for us. So so this morning, I want us to see in this passage uh, a couple things that really come to the surface that are happening in the passage, but we can look at this in our season and say, yes, that's who we want to be as well. So here's our big idea today, that we are followers of Jesus Committed to his mission. Watch as the passage develops that you see at the very core of Paul's message is that we are followers of Jesus and we are committed to his mission. Whatever it costs us, we are committed to that. And I want you to see as that comes out, our mission here at Beach Point is to develop you as an authentic follower of Jesus. Someone who loves God, one another, and the world. This is our prayer. This is our hope to develop in you. Uh, and as we uh, begin to close out the study of the book of Acts, what we're going to see uh, today is, is uh, something really similar to, I think, our day. That as we've been reading these stories, we're seeing a group of what we might say really kind of ordinary people. They weren't spectacular in their wealth or their power uh, or their education or any of those things. But we see very ordinary people changing the world. And and that's our hope and prayer here at Beach Point. We want to be a church that changes the world. And so as we uh, think about that, I want you to be reminded of something. Remember, Jesus gave a mission. And the mission in his mission, he as he uh, uh, before he ascended into heaven, as he had resurrected, as he assembled his disciples, he said these words to him. He said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as the one that has all the authority, the one who sits on the throne, the one who gets to call the shots, here's what I'm telling you to do: go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey. Don't just teach them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And just, I want to make sure you know something. I will be with you always. I'll be with you in every step of the way to the very end of the age. This is not... This is, this is his mission. It's not ours. We don't, get to, uh, uh, we don't get to kind of negotiate it. He decides it. We embrace it as our mission because it is his mission. And just as it was the mission of the first church, it is now the mission of ours as well. So let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 26. Grab your uh, life journal so you can take some notes. But Acts 26 is a chance for us to see Paul describe these very values of his ministry And I hope that you see they are the same for ours as well. Acts 26, we're going to start in verse 12. And so last week, uh, Ken and Justin walked us through this moment in Paul's ministry where he knew it was time to go back to Jerusalem. And despite the warnings, he knew that trouble awaited him there. But Paul was able to say, it's not about me. It's about what God wants, and I think this is what God wants. And so he knew trouble awaited him. And so he, as, he, as he went to uh, Jerusalem, trouble found him. A mob rose up. They grabbed him. They had him he ultimately was arrested. And because of a threat, uh, a plot to kill him, uh, the Romans had Paul move, transferred to a region called Caesarea Philippi. And so now under this uh, Governor Felix, uh, Paul is being held on this house arrest. And for two years, they can't really figure out what to do with him. And so for two years, while he is in this, this uh, uh, prison, Paul does something. He writes some of the letters we read in the Bible. He writes Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and a letter to a man named uh, Philemon. And so we have some of those things. And we see that every opportunity Paul has, he's working towards uh, the gospel. He's encouraging the churches that he started and a man named Festus then comes, uh, becomes the new governor. He's in now uh, in charge. Paul, uh, Paul has appealed his case to Rome. Uh, those in Jerusalem want him transferred back to Jerusalem. They want to take care of him there. Paul has used his Roman citizenship to appeal to Rome. And so to Rome he's going to go. But, but uh, Festus now has to write a report. He has to kind of send him with a report. He has to explain why he's sending this man and what the trouble is facing him. And so he's been listening to Paul. He's been meeting with Paul. He's trying to understand. And in some ways, he's having trouble trying to understand what's the big deal over this guy? Why is everyone freaking out? Why does everybody want to kill this guy? It just seems like they're caught up on this superstition. And at this time uh, that we're going to read, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice, uh, they're in town. And uh, they uh, uh, say, let us have an audience with Paul, with you. Maybe we can help you discern how to explain this. And so what we're going to read is Paul is before King Agrippa, Bernice. He's before this governor, and he's explaining his case. And so we start in verse 12. And, uh, and, and what he said, has set up to this point is this. He has described, you know very well, I was someone trying to stop this movement. I had authority. I had power. I had persuasion. Everything in my power was being used to stop Christianity, And then he says in verse 12, on one of these journeys, so one of these journeys of which I was trying to stop and arrest and persecute the Christians, he says, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you and, uh, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. So that they may have forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now before we go on, notice two two important observations that that Paul gives us. Uh, One that's so important that we see is that the grace of Jesus is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. So remember, he's saying, I was Jesus's enemy. I, I used every ounce of power in my, my being to stop him and his movement. And when he appeared to me on that road, I had every right for him to shoot a lightning bolt right through my forehead. And instead, he showed me mercy. And Paul knows, and, we'll, and you'll see this in his letters, he knows God has used me as an example to everyone in this room. That for anyone in this room, and I have to imagine there has to be at least one of you in this room today who thinks you've done too much, you've gone too far, you are, you're, you're not someone eligible for the grace of God because of what you've done, what you've thought, what you've said, how you have failed. And if Paul could stand on this stage, I think he would say to you, friends, if he would show mercy to me, he will absolutely show mercy to you. His love is immeasurable. And it doesn't matter what you have done and how far you have gone. He calls to you and says, come, follow me. Give up holding on to those doubts and those fears. Let it go. Turn from it and turn to me and I will give you life. And notice what he says he will do. That that we see how powerful Jesus' mission is. The mission of Jesus is powerful. It says that he will take you from darkness to light. He will open your eyes and you will see the truth. You will see the reality. And he will move you from the power of Satan to the power of God. He's saying you don't understand it, but you are enslaved and I, Jesus will free you from that and he will give you life with God if you will only come to him. And then he does this amazing thing. He says, and, and when we turn to him that, that our sins are washed away, they're not counted against us. And instead we are placed among the righteous. I mean, think about what an exchange that is to say that you are incredibly indebted, unable to, to dig yourself out of the hole that you're in. And you move from that not to zero, but to, to, to share in the riches and glories of heaven. This is what he is offering to the mission of Jesus is so powerful. It is so life-changing. It will transform everything about you. And as he begins to explain this, what we see is that there's a response that's required. He says, So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, Then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent, turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. He says that, here's what I said, stop the way you're going, turn, turn your life towards God, turn towards God and demonstrate that your life with God is real by living the new life of letting him live through you. Uh, Demonstrate it through this through your life. And so here's one of the things that we see, what it means to be this church, what it means to be a part of the church is that we are a church of disciples, of disciples. A disciple is, uh, the word disciple simply means to be an apprentice uh, or to be a learner. And so this is Jesus' message. It is constantly to be my, disi- come be my disciple, follow me, fall in behind me, imitate me, be formed by me. This whole story of the New Testament is the story of, of the invitation for us to follow him, to be disciples. And as we see this taking place, as he's calling this, he's saying, what I call people to do is to change their direction. The way you're going, stop, turn, and come and follow him and demonstrate your faith with your life. Meaning simply this, that live your life as if, as if Jesus were living your life through you. That means teachers. You teach your students and serve your students as if Jesus were in your shoes. You, you love them and serve them the way that Jesus loves and serves you. It means business leaders that you do every deal. You treat every employee. You negotiate every detail as if Jesus were sitting at your desk and you don't cut corners because Jesus didn't cut any corners with you. But when he brought redemption to you, he went all the way to bring you to life. Athletes. I know we have a bunch of swimmers. It's as if Jesus were swimming in your Speedo. That might be a little weird. but Or soccer players. Like he was playing in your cleats. But, he play, but think about this. As an athlete, that you play with the, the kind of intensity that he would play with. He always had intensity for his mission, but he always treated everyone with dignity and respect, right? I mean, spouses, we laid down our lives for our spouse as Jesus laid down his life for us. We put the needs of our spouse ahead of our needs just as Jesus put our needs uh, above his own. Parents, parents, It means you love and raise your kids. You model faith to your kids as if Jesus were walking in your shoes. And the the best example they have of life and faith in this human world is your life of faith and devotion to Jesus. Kids, it means you honor your parents just as Jesus was willing to honor his father. Just as Jesus was willing to honor his heavenly or his earthly mother, Even when he's on the cross, he's looking out for for Mary, saying to John, John, will you take care of her now that I'm leaving? This love and devotion. Friends, this means you love your friends the way that Jesus loves you. Remember what Jesus said to us? He said, I don't call you servants anymore because you know my business. (laughs) I now call you friends. And then he would say this. He would say, and there's no greater love than this that one lays down their life for their friends. I I can't think of a better verse maybe to kind of characterize it for us than this, that those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. 1 John 2, 6. When when, uh, Paul says you should demonstrate your faith with your deeds, in essence he's saying this, live your life as Jesus did. Walk in this world the best you know how with God's help as if Jesus were walking in your shoes. And, and I'll be honest, we need each other, don't we, to do this? Because faith and, and this kind of life is not easy. Sometimes you hit a season where you get a, you get a sucker punch and you're not sure how to, how to live out the life of faith. This week was one of those weeks for me and for some of you. You know, f- uh, four months ago, we were up here doing it in this service. We were doing a child dedication, uh, on Father's Day, a sweet young family, and, and then just a couple months later, uh, this young man, Eddie Schultz, found out that he had cancer, and it moved quickly, and, and we prayed, and we moved, and people were praying for healing, and we were asking God, and we were trusting God, and we were asking for a miracle. And on Wednesday, it was was incredibly difficult for me to be in the hospital room with his family trying to explain the hope we have in Jesus. That this isn't goodbye for Eddie. That there's a great reunion coming. But you cannot have that conversation. You cannot walk through those details without uh, just sobbing. and, And having your heart crushed. And walking back to your car thinking, why couldn't it have been different? And yet in the midst of it, the encouragement is that this family is not going through it alone. Even for me coming back, my staff trying to encourage me, knowing that, that it was hard for me. But watching the different ways the church was coming around this family, providing the resources they needed for some of the care that they were trying to receive, of giving them scriptures and praying for them and saying, we're in this with you. What can we do? We're there to help. One of our our women who uh, used to be an oncology nurse showing up in their room, making sure they're getting the right care, volunteering her time and putting her pride on the line to say, let me step in this for you. That is walking like Jesus did. And we need, we need each other because we will have these seasons. We will all have these seasons where life gets incredibly difficult and we need each other. So we must, we must be a church of disciples. But we also are going to be a church on mission. I hope you're somewhat engaged and energized by these stories because you see the world being changed. And I want us to have the same thing. Watch what happens with Paul in this. It almost gets a little comical as, this, as he continues to share his story. He says, That's why some Jews seize me in the temple courts and try to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here to testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and, that, uh, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So Paul said, look, I'm just going to do what has been done for thousands of years. I'm going to tell you the truth. And whether you're you're small or great, here's the truth. And notice what happens. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. And he says, are you out of your mind, Paul? Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul's response, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, he replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and and I can speak freely to him. And I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Now think about what Paul's doing. He's saying, King Agrippa, you know the scriptures and you know what you're hearing. When he says this was not done in a corner, he's saying, everyone is talking about this. This is the buzz. You can't get away from it. You know something happened. And people everywhere are testifying that he is alive, that he is the one. And notice what he says, King Agrippa, he says this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except these chains. I love this. Every opportunity Paul had, every opportunity he looked to serve and and he saw himself as one sent. So whether the audience was people great or small, he was looking for the opportunity to say, look, that's my hope and my prayer. And if you're going to give me a chance to share, this is what I'm going to say. Yes, I do want you to believe. Because why? Because I want you to be brought from darkness into light, from the power of Satan to God, have your sins forgiven, to be seated among the righteous. I want you to have that as well. Every opportunity he would give himself to this. And a couple of weeks ago, I listened to the HB team and they were talking about their, uh, just their experiences, their their. Uh, and I got to the end of the thing, and I was just so convinced that if I stood up and said, hey, would you guys do this again? If, if we asked you to do it again, everything you know, all the costs you know that's involved, would you do it again? And I was convinced they would, to, to a person, would say, absolutely. They were filled with such joy that nothing for them felt like it was sacrifice. It was, it was an honor to serve God in this way. And this is what, one of the things that we, as we're going through this series, we're seeing is what an honor it is to be used by God to change the world. But, but to do this, notice what happens uh, uh, for this. It says that the king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. And after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free, if he had not appealed to Caesar. And and this part of the story ends with the thought of them scratching their heads thinking, what was Paul thinking? For them, it was absolute foolishness. He should have protected himself in his own interest. And instead, what we see in Paul is that he is not consumed with his own rights, his own safety. He is giving his life for the sake of the gospel. We saw this last week as as, uh, uh, our guys preach. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Testify to the good news of God's grace. Here's the last thing I want us to see is that we are a church of sacrifice and service. Of sacrifice and service. That we want to be willing to say like Paul, I don't consider my rights... The priority, but what I consider the priority is being faithful to the Lord, to my King, and serving Him. Whatever He asks, I want to be willing to do. And this is why I love. In some ways, I see it in us. I know this is in us because I have seen it in your eyes. There have been hundreds of you who I've I, I've just listened to your vow. When we baptize you and say, do you believe? Yes, I believe, and I'm trusting in Jesus. And are you ready to be his disciple? You're ready to follow him, no matter where he leads you, no matter what it costs you. And and it's it's interesting when we get to that part of the vows, I know many of you will attest to this, seeing this in each other's eyes, tear-filled eyes, and and a heartfelt, yes, with God's help, yes, I will follow him. This is who we must be. This is who we're called to be. And I want you to commit to be in this kind of church, a church of disciples, a church on mission, a church willing to sacrifice and to serve. And so here's how I want us to, to close our time is I want to invite us to the king's table. Because I don't want to invite you to sacrifice or serve apart from seeing that the king himself has sacrificed everything to bring you into his kingdom, that the king has served you and not chosen to be served. He has laid down his life as a ransom for you. And so in just a moment, as the ushers come, they're going to give you a, a cup. Uh, there's a tray, and there's two cups. or double cup. Make sure you grab them both. Give them a little twist to undo them. But in those elements, we remember the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. His body broken, his blood shed. And we remember him as we eat and drink. We remember him until he comes again. And so as those elements come, I want to give you a moment of silence just to pray and say, King Jesus, I am your disciple. I'm your missionary. I'm ready to sacrifice. I'm ready to serve. And when you're ready, eat, drink, and remember him. So let's pray.